0: We can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one, your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given, it must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one. With Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to an economy one. It's been a heck of a week, hasn't it? It just gets better and better and better. Can't wait until November's over and, uh, we got something else, uh, in our life, but, uh, we'll spend a little bit of time on, on candidate stuff, but, uh, got some interesting stuff today. Hans von Spakovsky from the heritage foundation to be joining me a little bit later. And, uh, uh, it's the 45th anniversary this last week of something very, very important. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later also. Our website, aneconomyofone.com, aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook, An Economy of one on Facebook. Go there and like us if you like, see what my producers put up on a regular basis. Uh, got a great video there uh, for the Paralympics. The Paralympics take place after the regular Olympics, and there's a terrific, terrific three-minute video there. Uh, you're going to want to watch. So that's at our Facebook page, "An Economy of One." One of the things I've been noticing, and uh, as the campaign, uh, as the candidates are on the campaign trail. Um, we're starting to see the differences in policy. Now, you got to dig a little bit to uh, really uh, find out what they're talking about and do a little bit of analysis. But you remember a week or so ago, uh, Trump came out with his uh, thoughts, a few thoughts on economic policy. He's going to lower uh, taxes on corporations. He's going to eliminate the estate tax. Um Going to take the income tax brackets from seven down to three, increase some child care deductions, that kind of stuff, you know. And of course, no matter what he says, the the Democratic side, uh, Hillary Clinton, is going to refute it some way somehow. So I wanted to touch on a couple of those things and show you how uh, to connect the dots as to what's actually happening. Uh, right now now Hillary came out and talked about Donald Trump's uh, thought process of eliminating the estate tax now I agree with this I think we should eliminate the estate tax um, not because Donald Trump says so but because I have seen what estate tax does and I know that It doesn't affect most people. A married couple, if they do their planning right, have over $10 million of exemptions they can use in their estate plan. Single person, over $5 million of exemptions they can use. So it's not a a vast majority of the population that falls into those categories. I understand that. But I have seen businesses uh, destroyed. I've seen farms that have been in families for generations uh, have to be split up and sold all to pay estate taxes. And Hillary comes out and and starts talking about Donald Trump's net worth and how much tax his estate is going to be taxed. And it's a tune of about four billion dollars in taxes. So she starts telling us how she can spend that money. 47,000 vets can get a four year degree. We can uh, provide healthcare for, I don't know, 3 million children in this country for a year. We can build bridges and a lot of different, better ways to invest that money. And that tells me she thinks that money's hers, not hers personally but hers to control that it's the government's money. And you remember way back when she said, it's government that creates jobs, not businesses. So this is an inherent display of not understanding how the economy works. You take $4 billion out of Donald Trump's estate. In order to do that, you're going to have to liquidate virtually all of his real estate. Now think about this and let's think in base 10. Okay. So let's say he's got $10 billion worth of property and he owes $4 billion worth in estate tax. Well, the IRS does not take real estate in payment for estate taxes. So they have to be sold. So the IRS comes in and is estate state and says, "Yep, you're right. They're worth 10 billion dollars. You owe 4 billion in tax." Now, for those of you that have been in real estate, you know the rule. Real estate is only worth what someone will give you for it today, not tomorrow, today. So, 10 billion dollar state, 4 billion dollars in in estate taxes. Now we got to auction off the real estate. Well, what if we only get billion for the real estate I say only but I mean it's a big number the estate tax is still based on the 10 billion valuation that the IRS put on there doesn't matter what you sell it for well that essentially creates an estate tax of 67% instead of 40 you see what I'm getting at here the estate tax is based on the valuation the IRS puts on it, not on its liquidation. So unless Donald Trump's estate has $4 billion in cash laying around, that estate's going to have considerable shrinkage in liquidating and paying off the estate tax. Now, I know many people out there, many, many people say, so what? so what so his kids get two billion big deal that's still too much for one person well who's to say who's to say he earned it he built it do i agree with the what he did and the way he did it doesn't matter he did it it's his and if there's one person that understands Valuation, building wealth, and a bottom line, it's this guy. Okay, yeah, granted, he he, he got out of the gate uh, with a lot of money from dad. But look what he did with it. He increased that 400% or so. Who's to say his kids won't take that $10 billion and increase it 400% more? I've not met his kids. I've heard them. I've seen them on TV, pretty sharp kids, probably likely to increase the Trump wealth past at. I'm not a parent, but I would hope that they would increase it past that. Hillary makes a statement on the income tax. Donald Trump doesn't need a tax cut. I don't need a tax cut. It's time for the wealthy, wealthiest Americans, whoever you are, as well as corporations of Wall Street, to pay your fair share in taxes. Now, that's the F word. That's the F word in my book, fair. Okay? Hillary doesn't think she's paying enough in tax. You know, she can write a check. The IRS will cash it. She doesn't have to stick to strictly the tax rates. She wants to feel good about herself. She can write a check. And uh, I said the same thing about Warren Buffett in years past making the ignorant statements that he pays less, has a lower tax rate than his secretary. That's deceptive because he gets most of his income from capital gains, not earned income. And he's counting on people's ignorance on how things work to persuade him. Bernie Sanders was the same way. He wanted to raise taxes back up to the the 50s and the 60s, where it was a 70 to 90% top tax rate. Thing is, you can make the taxes 100%, and it wouldn't make any difference to the national budget. Obama's been running trillion-dollar deficits. We're 19, close to $20 trillion in debt. You can tax 100% of the top 1%'s wealth, wouldn't make any difference to the number. It's spending that's the problem. Spending that's the problem. These politicians now, I'll, I'll, I'll put Donald Trump in this category. Both of them want to spend a lot of money. Both of them, the way I see it, will probably increase the national debt if they're in office can the national debt be reduced it can not easily though we've been entrenched in entitlements there's just a million entitlements out there and people like Hillary want free college for everybody they want free health care for everybody they want free food for everybody they Want free everything free housing and somebody's got to pay for that, and we're reaching a point where printing money is at a critical juncture. It's very critical, the money we're printing right now. Now, why is it critical right now? Well, coming up, I'm gonna let you know why it's critical and what caused it to be so critical an event that happened 45 years ago is coming home to roost shall we say an economy of one with gary rathbun Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Well, this week we had a very, very important anniversary. And quite honestly, I didn't see it mentioned hardly anywhere. 45 years ago this week, President Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. August 15th, 1971 took us off the gold standard. Now, let's talk about that for just a few minutes because it's important It's important today because had he not done that, we probably, probably wouldn't be in the situation that we're in today with our deficits and national debt. But let me explain why. Prior to 1971, our dollars, still the world's reserve currency, by the way, became the world's reserve currency in the mid-20s, our dollars was backed up by gold to the tune of $35 an ounce. In other words, you could take a dollar bill to a Federal Reserve Bank, and they would give you one thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold for it. Now, that's technically, they would do that. Realistically, maybe not so much. They might have had a minimum of, you know, 10 ounces or something like that. But theoretically, our dollars were completely backed by gold, and it was fixed at $35 under FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And if you remember, in 1930, oh, man, I think it was 31 or 33, um, Roosevelt made it essentially illegal for individuals to own gold and ask everybody to turn it in. Well, back then, our dollar was pegged to gold at $20 an ounce. So if you had gold, you took it to a Federal Reserve Bank, and they give you $20 an ounce for it. After that decree was done, FDR immediately raised the valuation from 20 to 35. In other words, devaluing everybody's $20 bills that they got from the federal reserve by 40% immediately. And it stayed at $35 an ounce right up to 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard because people, we, 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 we were spending a lot of money in the Vietnam war. And so we were printing a lot of money and countries around the world that held dollars were getting nervous so they were starting to bring their dollars to the United States and exchange them for gold at $35 an ounce and very quickly we would have ran out of gold now maybe we did i don't know but technically we would have run out eventually so nixon said um you know what we're going to stop that we're not going to tie the dollar to gold anymore it's going to be a fiat currency. And uh, he said two things really stupid. Well, he said a lot of things really stupid. But these two things in particular referencing this. One, tomorrow your dollar will be worth just as much as it is today. And he was right. The next day your dollar was worth a dollar. The day after that it sucked, but uh, the next day it was okay. And two, this is just a technical, temporary situation to stop the speculators around the globe in dollars from destroying our currency now i paraphrase that that wasn't a direct quote but the idea was to unlink the dollar to gold fiat currency means that a government says what the currency is worth so in our case the government says a dollar is worth a dollar this little piece of paper It's not really paper by the way it's made out of cloth but everybody says paper money this little piece of paper is worth a dollar and it's good for all debts and services and in fact you are required to take that little piece of paper really cloth um, as payment for goods and services you cannot refuse it what that did it allowed our federal government to run deficits unchecked. So all the money we were spending on the Vietnam War, suddenly we could print as much as we wanted now and finance the war effort. And it's been 45 years, 45 years this last week, and uh, I guess you could still classify that as temporary, Um, but uh, temporary's been a long time, long time. And we're never, never going back to the gold standard. So all these people that say, "Oh, we got to tie tie dollars back to gold and and make our money sound," not going to happen. Uh, and I, and I'm not saying that from a cynical point of view. I'm saying it from a practical point of view. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. We we're tied in deficits too much and fiat money is the world standard. Our dollar is based on what the government says it's worth, and everybody else's currency is tied to the dollar. That's why we're the world's reserve currency. So everybody bases their valuation not on gold, not on silver or any other hard asset. They base it on dollars. Virtually every barrel of oil traded in the world traded in dollars no matter what the country so nixon taking us off the gold standard big big deal still paying for it today very few people brought it up this last week i didn't see it hardly anywhere where people were talking about going off the dollar keep it in mind coming up next hans von Spikowski from the heritage foundation is going to join me for a few minutes You want to stay for that? Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Man, that's a mouthful. He's a co-author with John Fund of the books, Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk. And most recently, Obama's enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. He also spent two years with the Federal Elections Commission. Hans, welcome back to An Economy of One well thanks for having me back as always i try to catch your stuff that you write and i think it was last week i was reading a column on daily signal and told my producer i said hey here's hans name here uh wrote this and he was talking about the uh voter id out in texas and kind of a small victory or a partial victory for texas voter id laws can you tell us a little bit about that
1: Sure. Well, uh, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, there was this really bad decision by the Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. That's, that's the Court of Appeals. that includes Texas. And they tossed uh, out part of the Texas voter ID law, even though really... <laughs> There's no evidence to show that, that it is a problem. So what they basically said was, well, we're sending this back to the lower court, and they need to fashion some kind of remedy for the small number of people who can't get the free ID that the state will hand out. So T- Texas actually was, was able to get a, what, what they called an interim settlement with the Justice Department and all the different groups that, that filed, in which they agreed basically this: if, if somebody shows up at a poll – and they don't have a, a photo ID, um, they'll be able to vote if they do two things. One, they show like a utility bill or a bank statement or some kind of government document that's got their name and address on it. And they, they fill out a form in which that they sign in which they say, well, I had a reasonable impediment that kept me from getting a voter ID. The the court approved that, Mm -hmm. and so that's going to be the situation for the November election in Texas.
0: How does having a utility bill with somebody's name on it and you saying that's my name, it, it, it just seems like there's an integrity issue there. I mean, you're still taking the person's word for it, aren't you? Yeah, you
1: are. You you and I both know how easy it is to use a a word processing program to just create something like that. And look, here's the thing: the 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 judges made this decision despite the fact that the uh, U.S. Justice Department and all the plaintiffs of the case, you know, they couldn't find a single witness out of the entire state of Texas who was going to be unable to vote because of this voter ID law. Not not just that, but the law has actually been in effect in Texas since uh, 2013, so three years. So we've actually got election results, and the election results show that it didn't have any effect in depressing turnout or in mm-hmm. any way keeping people from the polls.
0: Well, and the, and the state ID is, uh, ID is free, I mean yeah. it's not like it's five bucks or ten bucks or something and and uh read in your column the district court judge uh nelva gonzalez Ramos Ramos she tried to to claim it was a poll tax or something, even though there was no money attached to it
1: yeah yeah, she did she also said that the legislature had intentionally discriminated in passing this law even though there wasn't a single piece of evidence of any kind that any of the legislators uh, intended to discriminate. In fact, she made it pretty clear that the reason she thought they were intentionally discriminating was because there's no reason to pass a voter ID law other than if you want to discriminate. That, that's how nutty <laughs> That's how nutty it was. It probably wouldn't surprise you to know that she's, she was an Obama uh,
0: appointee to the of, federal court. Of course, court. Uh, of course. But, you know, it, it, it concerns me. I mean, we kind of joke about it a little bit. But, you know, you also talk a little bit about North Carolina and some of the, the goofy things going on there. But it concerns me going into this election. This election is scary enough without thinking of uh, or being concerned, overly concerned with voter fraud and, and uh, election fraud and, and those kind of things. I mean, the last time we talked, we're in Ohio and we had districts in Ohio that had, you know, 110 percent of the registered voters vote. And uh, it just really concerns me. It seems like this is getting worse and worse and worse uh, every election we have. Are we are we trending in a negative way or are we trending more in a positive way?
1: Well, look, there's a number of states that have been trending in a good way, states like Georgia, states like uh, Tennessee, which have put in voter ID laws and have beaten challengers in the courts, or states like um uh, Alabama and Kansas, which have put in laws um, that say, hey, when you register to vote, you got to provide proof you're a US citizen. But unfortunately, hmm. then we have all these other states where we've got courts throwing out things like voter ID laws, and we, we, we have the US. Justice Department basically um, launching a war on election integrity. By the way, you, know, we should mention, you know Ohio, of course, there's the infamous case of, I think it was Meloise Richardson who, you know, went to jail in a, in, in your state for um, voting five mm. or six times right. for Barack Obama in the same election. And when she was let out of prison, I think last year, why, well, she was celebrated and congratulated at a big Democratic rally in
0: right. the state. <laughs> you know, I, once again, it, it, it makes me chuckle and it makes me nauseous at the same time, because I would think that no matter what party you're on, what side of the – the, the aisle you're on or what party you're affiliated with, you would want integrity in the polls. You you would want that integrity. I, I mean I don't mind losing if I lose properly. I, I would hate to lose by, you know, five thousand votes and know that that we had some integrity issues. But, but, I mean I I know the answer that that people want to win regardless, but um, it's it, it just very frustrating. It, 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 I mean, is this on both sides? I mean, uh, we, we'd like to pin this on the Democrats that they're the, the main culprits, but is it on both sides in, in different areas?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, in Kentucky, for example, they have a bad history and tradition of um, buying votes. Uh, And that's uh, Republicans there, local officials have been found guilty of that. But unfortunately, it is true that most of the recent cases uh, that have been found have been um, Democratic uh, legislators and consultants who've been caught doing this. That's frankly very sad that that's the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I just likewise, I wouldn't want to win that way either. I wouldn't want to win without integrity. Now, this uh, this. Settlement, this compromise, this agreement, or whatever we want to call it in Texas, uh, really is just this election. I mean, are they going to pick it up after the election and and try to get uh, uh, something a little more strong on their voter ID law in Texas? Uh,
1: yes, in fact, uh, the state of Texas uh, got the other side to agree, and the judge approved that that this interim settlement, which only applies to this election. Uh, that Texas did not waive any rights to appeal this Fifth Circuit Court decision to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think okay. that's, in fact, what's going to happen is they're going to try to appeal it to the Supreme Court and and get um, uh, what the Court of Appeals did overturned.
0: Now, finally on this, let's say they do go to the Supreme Court and it does get overturned, so they they, they have their, their legislation. Uh, will this translate to any other state or will each state have to go through their own process to to get to a similar position
1: well hopefully that court case would provide precedent uh... but look the folks that are challenging these voter id laws have a huge amount of money uh, george soros for example mm-hmm. funded about five million dollars uh... to a law firm democratic law firm in washington dc to help fund these lawsuits so i i think they're going to keep fighting Uh, even if they know that in the end uh, they're going to lose because they want to delay as long as possible uh, these kind of um, election integrity measures from going in place.
0: Yeah. We're speaking with Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and co-author, of Obama's enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. Got about two minutes left or so with you, Hans. I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, also read an article uh, that you wrote in uh, Conservative Review, I, I believe, uh, about uh, recent decisions on the IRS. And apparently uh, some of the, the uh, plaintiff's claims uh, to the IRS on, uh, I don't know what you call it, discrimination or or uh, 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 whatever uh, got reinstated, and and uh, the IRS isn't totally off the hook for targeting Patriot groups now.
1: No, no that's true. What happened was, uh, about two weeks ago, um, the Federal uh, Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia reinstated a, a lawsuit that had been filed by uh, True the Vote, mm-hmm. Lynchpins of Liberty, and a number of other conservative uh, Tea Party groups. there. Their case against the IRS, and the the case was all about the fact that they were targeted by the IRS, that their applications for tax-exempt status were delayed or or never granted, and that the IRS asked for all kinds of private and personal information that the IRS was not entitled to. Uh, Those cases were were basically thrown out by the lower court, and the reason was the court said, well, your claims are now moot because the IRS has, has said that they stopped the targeting, they stopped <laughs> these wrongful procedures, and they're not going to do it again. Well, the court, <laughs> the court um, uh, reinstated the case because they pointed out that what the IRS had actually said was that the IRS had said it was suspending right. what it was doing until further notice, and the court pointed out that you know supposedly the IRS is saying, well, we're not doing this anymore, but at least two of the organizations in the lawsuit as of the date that the lower court looked at it, still hadn't gotten their tax-exempt status. Right. And so uh, they reinstated the case, sent it back down to the district court, and, and obviously what the what those parties are going to do is they're going to ask the judge to issue a permanent order barring uh, the IRS from ever doing this again, and I'm sure they're also going to ask for an order telling the IRS that they've got to either return or destroy all that confidential, personal information that they were not entitled to and that they demanded from the Tea Party organizations.
0: The fact that we don't trust them, I mean, we couldn't trust them to destroy the information either. But, you know, by saying they're suspending uh, that practice kind of admits that they did that practice, was not it? Oh, yes.
1: In fact, listen, the judge, uh, again, the judges uh, pointed out that that in this, this lawsuit, the IRS really didn't contest or deny that they had engaged in wrongful behavior. And so there was almost no controversy over what the facts were in the case.
0: Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. We've been spending a little time with Hans von Spakovsky. I think I said that right three times, Hans. I'm I'm very proud of myself. You you
1: get extra (laughs) bonus points.
0: I I appreciate that. (laughs) He's from the Heritage Foundation. He sits at the Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese uh, the third center for legal and justice studies, and uh, author of Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department, with his uh, partner in crime, John Fun. John's going to be joining me in a couple of days, so uh, we're going to talk to John uh, again soon. So Hans, once again, I appreciate all your time, appreciate your uh, insights and the work you do, and uh, hopefully we can talk again uh, real soon. Sure, happy to be back anytime. Thanks, Hans. Have a good evening. Up next. An old solution that's gaining popularity to reducing funeral expenses. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. That was Hans von Spakovsky from the uh, Heritage Foundation. One of my favorites. Did you see this uh, uh, political cartoon out of the uh, Louisiana Times Picayune newspaper? Did you see this? It has a police officer standing there, and he's holding a little piece of paper that says Miranda Writes. And uh, the uh, cartoonist writes above the police officer for white people. And then right beside it, he's got the police officer again holding a little piece of paper called Last Rights," And a little uh, line above the police officer for black people. Now, really? Now, I'm all in favor of free speech and First Amendment. So I got no problem with the paper printing this. I do have a problem with the paper thinking there's no consequences to printing this. And if a conservative newspaper or website would have done something like this, if this would have been on, I don't know, Drudge Report or something like that, um, we'd have buildings on fire and uh, cops getting hurt and shot and and that kind of stuff. I think it's poor judgment. I think they have a right to print it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's stupid to print it, but... uh, I think they have a right to print it, and uh, but there's consequences to this. What if President Bush, after Hurricane Katrina, would have been playing golf instead of trying to do something? Look at all the flooding going on in New Orleans now. You don't hear anything about it, do you? Don't hear anything. President Obama's on vacation playing uh, golf, round number 305 or something. I don't know what it is, but... Uh, I know I don't need to point out double standards, and it's kind of frustrating, but, uh, I, you know, I can, so I do. came across a story that uh, uh, it, it's it's interesting to me, and it fits my basic belief. You know, funerals uh, are something we all get. Uh, everybody gets a turn. It's a call we all answer, uh, all those kind of phrases. And funerals are expensive. Uh, my wife and I paid for one last year. Her mother passed away and uh, Not cheap to put somebody in the ground anymore And so a lot of people rather than paying for a funeral are donating their bodies to science now Hundred years ago. I wanted to be a doctor Wanted to be a do- all my life wanted to be a doctor and uh I uh, invested in stocks and studied companies and finance, but that was a hobby to me as a kid. I loved annual reports. I loved reading stock market numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, but it was a hobby. I wanted to be a doctor. And so I know how important cadavers are to the training of new doctors. And I always had a respect for people who donated their body to science for that reason. In 2002, the University of Minnesota received 170 bodies donated to University of Minnesota. Last year, they got 550. Same thing in the University of Buffalo. Got almost 600 last year, doubling over the last 10 years or so. Everybody, not everybody, a lot of people donating their body to science. Now, I think that's a good thing um i think in addition to that everybody needs to be an organ and tissue donor everybody you know when we think of organ donations we think a heart kidney maybe lungs you know they take over a hundred and forty different tissues my brother has cadaver bone in his jaw he needed some uh some bone buildup in his jaw, and it came from a cadaver. A hundred and forty different tissues. I'm an organ donor. If anybody wants anything when I'm done with it, have at it. My caveat uh, caveat is, make sure I'm done with it. I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be needing something and somebody take it. I got no problem keeping me alive for a little while. you can get all the tissue and organs you want and then pull in the plug that's cool like i said just make sure i'm done using it and i'm not feeling the removal that's all i care about but uh we're going to see more and more of this we went from funerals to cremation cremation is is very 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 popular right now and uh, has been growing in the last several years but that has a cost to it too it's a lot cheaper than a funeral but uh, still has some cost, but donating your body to science for scientific learning at universities, excellent cause and very, very inexpensive for the family. So uh, give it some thought, but more importantly, give it a lot of thought to being an organ and tissue donor. Put it on your driver's license. It's cool. You'll be done with it. You won't need it anymore. Let somebody else have it. This is a reminder, my interview with Hans von Spakovsky, you can get on the website, economyofone.com. You can also get it on iTunes. In fact, you can get my host show on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, punch in in Economy of One. There I am. No excuse for, for missing a show. You can get me anywhere. Please give us some comments. Write to us at producer at and economyofone.com. Give us your thoughts, questions. I'll be glad to, to have one of the producers respond and maybe touch it on the air. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country.
1: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC registered investment advisor.